Well, all right, guys, good to see you. Um, you ready? Let's go. We've been in the wilderness um, uh, teachings for a minute, for a few weeks. It's, not, it's unlike us to do a series, or me, I should say, but it's, it's happening. And um, I, I won't spend much time on review because, you know, all this stuff's online and, you know, many of you have been here. So hopefully it will still be, you'll be able to follow it. But I want to jump right in. Um, and start with two major points that have been important to us, especially as we look at Old Testament stories. And the first point being that we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, of who God truly is, right? Um, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, like, God has been made known to us in a real profound way. He is the image, and we read everything through that lens. It is a lens without which we cannot understand the Old Testament. We'll, it'll be, you know, it, 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 it gives us who God truly is. And the second point will be, as always, when we see Him as He is, it also transforms us personally. That's what all understanding is. That's what all deliverance is. Deliverance is understanding. It's coming into the recognition of who he is and seeing him as he is. And it causes, it's an instant chain reaction, which is, which is transferable into your very self. Because everything is about identity. Everything in the wilderness was about identity. Coming out from the identity of slaves and victims into the identity of the sons and daughters of God who are covered and taken care of by him, where their minds were rearranged, the Christian walk, coming to the place where like, wait a second, this place is plastic. This place is hardly real compared to the reality which we've just stepped into. It is the matrix. But we are called to usher in the kingdom and the reality of the true domain of heaven, right? And so that scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.14 says, but their minds were blinded. For to this day, the same veil remains over their eyes when they're reading the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Just like we said, when we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, we see it accurately. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts, which we're going to look into some of the stories of Moses. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty. To become your true self is the most freeing thing. To be unlocked from the, from the bonds of the mentality of this world. It says in verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Seeing God transforms us into who we are. The second point. (laughs) And seeing the Old Testament, if we want to see it without a veil, we see it through the person of who Jesus is. Something they did not know who God was. And so that's where we'll start. In Genesis, or I'm sorry, let's, let's do Numbers 20. The most exciting book, one of the most exciting books in the Bible, honestly, full of just so much drama and action. Um, But number twenty, numbers twenty, for the hopefully the smallest recap we've ever had. What have we What have we gone through? We've gone through, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. We've gone through the manna of heaven, the communication of God for us 
that is available to us every single day in Exodus 16. You know, that reality that God was taking care of them. Their needs were not going to be met by the ways of the system any longer. Because by having their needs met by the system, it came with the string attached, which was their actual identity was a slave of the system. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're unplugged from that whole machine. And so here they are walking, water's coming out of a rock, manna's being rained from heaven every single day. They're, they're learning that the, the cloud hovers over them by day and the fire glows over top of them by night. The climate of the wilderness people of God was not the climate of the actual desert. It was different. Just like us as Christians, right? Our, our attitudes, our heart, the condition of our, of our mind and our heart is not, is not in relation to the, atti the attitudes and the climate of the world. We're living by another reality, Amen. another identity. This is what they were learning. But we've seen as complaints and grumbling and things happened and would grow. I think last week we did Korah's Rebellion where, the, where, where finally... Initially, there was, there was a mutiny. We've seen two mutinies. Once, which one was like, hey, let's stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies that wanted to go into the promised land because they were so afraid of the Nephilim that occupied and were squatting in their land that they wanted to turn around and go to Egypt. And instead of hearing faith and courage, they're like, hey, if we can just blot them out from our ears, it will be as if we've never even had that responsibility and we can go numb to that stuff of this walk and just go back to who we once were. Now, God, instead of wiping them off the face of the earth, right, he actually, for, everybody was forgiven of that trespass. And I was like, I'm like, man, they were trying to kill Moses and drive the entire congregation, the entire people of God, the entire church back to Egypt. But it was a lesson for them. But then two chapters later, that lesson comes and it's not the same level because there is levels to this. And the second one, we, we saw Korah's rebellion. 250 leaders led by Korah and all these people stepping in into another rebellion against Moses. And this time, the ground opened up and swallowed <laughs> these people. Such a crazy story, you know. But I, I enjoy telling it for some reason. What does that say about me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like it. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Maybe need to go and deal with some things after. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. You know, even after that, there was another attempted mutiny because they thought Moses was the one that caused the ground to open up. And so a plague, you know, was unleashed. And of course, Moses and Aaron, by the censor that God had given them, came and stopped the plague and rescued the people. So you have this, this walk of mature Christianity and you see the heart of God and his forgiveness over people as he's leading them from A to B. From A, out of slavery and bondage through the wilderness and into the promised land of the mature sons and daughters of God that they're called to be. And for us to see this as Christians, like it says in 1 Corinthians 10, is that, is that all these things that happened to them were written for us to see and to learn from, right? Yeah. This is not just about the other guys who are unbelieving. This is often about our actual self. And the doubts and unbeliefs and the fears and the manipulations and all these things that manifest within our own vessel while we're actually trying to walk and follow the Lord and learning to have those aspects of our person cut and actually pinned to the cross where they belong because it's not our true self. And continue to walk fully, wholeheartedly, as Caleb and Joshua did, with the Lord. But now we've gotten to this place where these, like, that's actually three mutinies. I said two, that, these three great rebellions have actually happened. And the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness 
And there's a lot more bickering and complaining going on because they had to take her out they didn't want to. You can read between the lines if you want. But we get to Numbers 20 and something happens to Moses in his heart where people start to complain against him so bad. Have you brought us out here just to kill us in the wilderness? You know, and all these things again, all over again. It'd be better if we were back in Egypt. That same bitterness and that same negativity starts to come up in the people of God. And um, Moses goes to pray before the Lord. Hey, everybody's thirsty. We've moved to this new location. And Moses says, take the rod. In, in Numbers 20, verse 8, you and your brother Aaron and gather the congregation together and go and speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water and you'll bring water out for them uh, from the rock. Moses is used to doing these supernatural powerful things and so he does this but he does it in his own way. In verse 9 it says, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he was commanded and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water out of this rock for you guys? It says, Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the, the congregation and all of their animals were able to drink. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and says, Hey, because you didn't believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, which means contention, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed, or set apart, is what it made holy, proclaimed as holy, or set apart amongst them. A very interesting story before we get into our main event, and it's like Moses began to be frustrated with these people, and he was so ticked off because it's like, have, have, has not enough drama happened with you guys? where you're complaining against me, complaining actually against God, that you've had to learn your lesson the hard way, that you actually need somebody else to pull the water out from, for, among, you know, for you, which was very, it's a, even that's very interesting. They were more empowered than they believed that they were. And so Moses, instead of, he goes to, to God and God says, you know, God is patient and kind because now we're seeing him, right? We're seeing God through the lens of Jesus. And so he says, go and speak to the rock. He's like, I'll speak to it, all right. Instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to the people. Here, here, here it is, you rebels. That's what you really are. And then he takes his staff, which had butted with almonds and stuff, this mat, the thing that had eaten snakes, you know what I mean? This power that had held his arms up part of the Red Sea. And he takes it and whap, whap, gives it a couple hitters against that rock out of just sheer ticked offedness. And, and it works. And he turns around and goes to walk off, but then the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, by the way, now you are not going to lead these people into the promised land all the way. You're going to come right to the edge of it, but you're not going to make it in because you didn't believe me. It's like, you know me better than this. Remember, remember, weeks past we've discussed that. Like, you've seen my back. You've seen the extent of patience that I have to these people. You know, we're not seeing this through the veil of those who don't know Christ. We're seeing this through the lens of the New Covenant. It's not a liberty that I'm taking. It is, it is pure theology through the New Covenant and through the New Testament. And, and it's like, you know, it's like you, you went and hit that thing twice um, because you didn't believe me to hallow me in the sight of the children of Israel. In other words, you represented me as being angry and frustrated at them. 
you represented me to being like them. Somebody who gets ticked off, mad, and frustrated with people. You know, and that's not me. Hallowed, to be set apart. You misrepresented me. Now, this sounds like, well, you know, God never <laughs> disqualifies anybody. But, well, listen, you know, there's levels to this thing. And Moses, the mouthpiece of God, who's seen his face, who's actually glowed like a glowworm, right? Exodus 33. You know, he's, he's connected to God in such a profound way that, that he had to wear a veil to, to scare people. You know what I'm saying? He, he's seen the back of the Lord Jesus. Like, he stepped into something, and it says, this is the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hollowed amongst them. There was an understanding there. There was an example. Hey, Moses is now not going in. Okay, guys, that was me. Angry and frustrated at all of you. But that was not him. And and because of this, they they, they recognize like, wow, that was a misrepresentation. And wow, it was such a misrepresentation that God's closest man didn't step into the promised land. He went right in, you know. I mean, he went right to the edge, but it's crazy to think of that. But you know, there he is, you know, on the mountain with Elijah talking to Jesus on the other side of the book. So he obviously stepped into pretty good connection with God. Remember, you know what I mean? The Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is up there with Jesus, him and Elijah hanging out with him. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, um, you know, not all that bad of a deal. He's doing well, I'm sure. But anyhow, we, we step into Numbers 21. And now we're getting to the point where the Israelites are really coming close. You know, there's a filtering, there's a sifting of the unbelief and the fear and the anxiety and the manipulation and the control. All these things that have been arising the entire time in the wilderness but now we're getting closer to going in to the promised land. So the stakes are higher, you know. You don't, you don't get away with things as you're walking in maturity with the Lord that, that maybe you once did. You know, it's not that God's not patient. It's like, but it's like after a while, you know, we get to a place where we've stepped in. It's okay for a baby to cry when it wants something and to pitch a fit when it doesn't get it. It doesn't really know how to communicate. It's growing in maturity. It's, they can act out a little bit. But there's something different about a teenager being that way. And there's something even more different like an adult. Then there's something even more different like somebody that's in a leadership position. Because now you're actually affecting people. You know what I'm saying? And so we're not talking here about discipline, but, but there's something to the higher levels that we move on to, of authority that we move into in life, there is more lying at the door waiting to take you out. Yeah, amen. You know? And to step out of the, the that, what Psalm, you know, Psalm 91, like Steve was saying, the abiding of, of the shadow of the Most High is to step into a nature attitude that's contrary to your true nature, but it causes you to be susceptible to the beasts of the wilderness, which Jesus wasn't in his 40 days, right? He was with them the whole time. Didn't phase him. So Numbers 21 is a very strange story. And um, it's, it's this story as they didn't learn they le- their lesson. It, it starts off with them being attacked by a people group that, you know, was trying to take them out. 
And of course they sought the Lord and, and he said, yeah, you know, whip them. And so they did that. I don't know if whip them is the way it says it in the King James, but he said, yeah, they, they, they beat them down. And um, they're, you know, Numbers 21, that happens to them three times. People groups come after them and they, they rout those people groups. They're growing in authority and power, but there's, there's something that happened right there in the first uh, eight verses that is so telling and it's so very interesting. And it's the story of the, the serpents of the wilderness. And the serpent that's you know gets ends up strung up on a pole that we see on our ambulances you know that drive around town right you know that symbol, um, but it's like they were journeying for the Lord they had a great victory and it's interesting every time they'd have a great victory, it's like they would become confident but then they would go back into a weird complaining mode for some reason, very very bipolar in the mentality of the knowledge of good and evil it poisoned mankind to be this way, and um, but they got to the point where they actually started to speak against Moses because they became discouraged. So in, in Numbers 21, verse 4 and 5, it says they started to become discouraged with where they were, and they started speaking against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die? <coughs> Excuse me. To die in the wilderness. And it's just like, that's such a... <laughs> you know, it's just like, dude, you guys have had so much victory with the man of the cloud. You've actually routed other people groups several times that have attacked you. You know what I'm saying? Like you're stepping into legitimate authority. And now just because you get it, you're getting uncomfortable, it gets to the point where like, why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? It's the same, it's the same type of mentality and attitude that had been happening in the earlier chapters that we've seen. And it was just like, it was negative. And it was the language of a victim instead of a victor. And, um, you know, we, we'd already seen that this type of mentality had led to three mutinies. Um, but also it was starting to become cultural. It was toxic. And that's another thing. It's like negativity and negative speaking is like contagious amongst the immature. It poisons people, you know? And so it's been dealt with pretty ruthlessly several times, but it was actually becoming their, their almost like their native tongue. They were going back to it so much, man. And it's just like, I would say, cynicism or, or elitism or negativity, all these things, uh, just a side warning, like people build relationships on these types of communications, you know? And it's like, whether it's like, you know, you have diff different friends or friend groups where you, you just can fester with, or they're like your venting groups or your gossiper gossip groups or whatever else, uh, even making fun of other people. It's just like that kind of, that kind of tongue sabotages our own life. And, and the reality of it is, like, empowered people don't talk like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's somebody that sees themselves as a victim. And, it's, and it goes not only from being negative, but then they start blaming. It's like the blame game. The first thing, like, you know, Adam ate the fruit. Like, Adam, who told you you're naked? He's like, well, what did he say? The woman you gave me gave me the fruit. Passed it off to her. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then she's like, there was a snake, and uh, he... he he tricked me to eat that fruit. You know what I mean? It's like whoosh, whoosh. everybody's, you know, thumbing off to the next person, pointing to the next guy. You know what I mean? It's just like this, this, this blame game. It's, it's, it's no good. It's not bueno. So they get into this mentality of this negativity. And it says, <laughs> it says in verse six, that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people died. And it's just like, whoa, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough line right there. 
But I don't see God with a bunch of cages from the zoo, little boxes, sneaking behind people's tents and opening up snakes on the ground there. That's not the lens that I'm seeing this as. It's actually not there. Because then you have, therefore the people came to Moses they knew this time they recognized, okay, we've become hot and negative. We started to go into mutiny mode again. We started the, the early stages of it. We've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So, so Moses actually seeks the Lord. And what's the Lord do? He rescues them all. There he is. There's our guy. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that Everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses makes a bronze serpent. You know, the symbol on the side of our ambulances probably, you know, very similar to it. Puts it up on a pole, basically a cross. So if it was, if a, serp if a serpent had bitten anybody, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It was like it was healing to be able to see this metallic copper bronze art you know this snake that was lifted up on a pole which is such a strange strange story and even kind of a strange angle to look at the story in but it's like here we have just like so many other times just like genesis 11 you know god asked abraham or um hebrews 11 but he's referring to the story of genesis god asked abraham to take his son and sacrifice him and all these things and, and and then genesis 11 again through the lens of who jesus is says that abraham by faith knew the promise of god was that through his seed isaac the whole world was going to be blessed and so he knew that it was a bluff that even if he killed him god was going to raise him he looked past the identity of what a pagan god would call him to do and he knew that god was just actually making a point and he acted on that faith and of course god boom caught the goat in the thicket and next thing you know the, the game has changed god's making a point i am not a pagan god you know what i'm saying so it's like here we are not taking liberties to change things we are seeing without that veil we're seeing through the lens of the lord jesus and here's god who i think we started off with that verse in colossians right colossians 1 15 jesus who is God, he's the image of the invisible God. So now we know what he looks like and we know who he is. And here's God's dealing, which is to like, hey, we've started to complain. We've started to come after, um, we've started to come after leadership. We're actually coming after God. And guess what? We brought this upon ourselves. These snakes are biting us. Ask the Lord to help us. And the Lord does help them. And he helps them in such a profound way that I think is so important for us to see. Because one, with those people, like there's levels of responsibility, right? When you look at the story of the serpent, Genesis 3, 14, right? When, you know, you know Adam and Eve basically kicked out of Eden. Eve's going to have pain in childbirth. What does he tell the serpent in, in Genesis three fourteen? On your belly you shall go and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And... So the serpent eats the dust all the days of his life. We know this is not just a snake, and it is not a snake that's eating dust off the ground. This is very parabolic and symbolic because mankind was actually made of the dust of the earth, right? And his life was breathed of God. So the serpent is actually here to eat the carnal nature of mankind all the days of his life. That's what the demonic feeds off of in our life, negativity and the nature of Adam. 
right? The fallen nature of mankind. I've, you, I've heard a lot of different preachers say this when I was young or write this, Rick Joyner, French Pan, Japan, all these guys, um, that, you know, the devil is a snake in Genesis and then he's a flying dragon in Revelation, this cosmic dragon. So he's been eating well through the whole book. You know what I mean? He's been feeding, you know, he's had that, he's had that dust. He's had that nature of mankind. That's what he feeds on. You know, we talked about it last week about how the devil roar, um, excuse me, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he can devour. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, what does that mean? He's looking for a mouth that he can borrow to bite other people with. But he feeds on the nature of mankind. He feeds on wounds and negativity and hurt and pain. All the unhealed things that invite the, the, the carnal nature to manifest itself feeds the demonic around us. So when we say something last week, which how did that go for you guys? We did a fast from speaking negatively, right? Anybody do that? Hey, you catch yourself every once in a while going, oh, I can't, I shouldn't have said that. You know what I mean? You know, when you think about that. But we're, uh, putting a fast of the negativity that comes on our mouth is actually putting the fast of the demonic that surrounds our life. It gives it nothing to feed off of. We're not going to manifest those things. And so here the people of God are walking through the wilderness and they get to the point... Again, once more, they're on a higher level. They're getting close to stepping into the promised land. They're walking in legitimate authority, and they're, they're actually routing people groups, but they're manifesting at them, and guess what is right there to take a bite out of that stuff? The carnal nature, the sin nature, the serpent, see, you know, all, all these different things, which is in mankind, it's feeding that stuff around them. And this is written for us. You know, I like in Genesis 4, 7, when, when God spoke to Cain, of course, Cain, you know, he, he kills his brother. He's contemplating it and then he does it. You know, it, God says something interesting to, 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 to Cain. He said, sin lies at your door. The SV, it's, it's sin is actually crouching at your door and it is dot, its desire is for you, but you should master it. And it's like, huh? Yeah. It's like Cain, buddy. You're really ticked off about your brother. There's jealousy. There's all these things going on. It's like sin is lying in wait at your door. It's leaning on your door, just hoping that you open it, that you crack it open. Um, its desire is for you. It wants you. But you should be its master. You know. In other words, like it doesn't have power over you. You have to allow it. And you're capable of not allowing it. You know, you're not a victim, dude. Cain, you're not a victim. You know, it's like you should master this thing. You, ha you have it in you to resist this. You know, anyways. So it's just like you get to this place. These guys are walking this level and it's just like they're opening the door to being bit. But what does God do? He does something strange. It's like, all right. Get you, a, get you a bronze snake, lift it up on a stick, and going to be all right. Y'all look at it, and then bang, you know, you're going to be healed. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and it works. It's just like, well, that's not, that's not any, any conventional medicine or anything like that, you know what I mean? But the reality, it's just like what we've talked about in John 1. Jesus associates himself with these Old Testament stories and, says, and he says, hey, and this is, again, the lens of Christ into the Old Testament, like, I'm the latter. Remember when he first met his disciples? You know what I'm saying? You think this is, you think this is important in John 1. 
He's like, I tell you, you're going to see things greater than this. You're going to see the Son of Man, you know, angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, you know, and, and, and this, this prophetic declaration that he is this Jacob's ladder, the go-between of heaven and earth. He is this, the angels travel up and down. They, they go into heaven, they bring heaven to the earth. Um, and he declares himself this, but in John 3, it's one of my le- legitimately, I say that about everything, but legitimately favorite stories is when Jesus um, connects with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a, a Pharisee, but he's not only a Pharisee, he's like a very high-level Pharisee. And so, but, you know, this Pharisee named Nicodemus actually comes to Jesus um, in the middle, like late in the night, so nobody would actually um, see him come. So all of his colleagues and all the people that knew him wouldn't see that he was actually going to the other team and talking to Jesus. But something was bothering him so bad, and that was like, teacher, you're doing these signs. Like, he could not separate the fact that you have got to be from God. This has got to be from God because you're doing these miraculous things and it's really good. He couldn't demonize Jesus like the rest of them could. Now, he was still embarrassed to be around him. He says he was the ruler of the Pharisees. He was a very high-level man. So he literally sneaks over, creeps over to Jesus' house. And Jesus, instead of opening the door and saying, Oh, you want to come by night because you're embarrassing me? Then I'll embarrass you. And shuts the door and walks off in nature of Adam. He says, Hey, buddy, come on in. Like, let's talk. You know? And he starts to teach Nicodemus say some things that were really just messing his mind up. And, and that was like, yo, you've got to be born again and born by the Spirit. And he starts to forecast what New Covenant Christianity is to Nicodemus, who just has no grid. But since you've actually seen me as good, I'm going to speak into you, which is just a really beautiful, really, really cool thing. So they get to talking back and forth. And one of my favorite lines um, is John 3, verse 13, and we'll go to 16, but he says, no one has ascended into heaven. There's that Jacob's ladder type of reference. No one has ascended. No one's been up into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. That's how the New King James says it. And I I just, ooh, man, I like that. It's just like, I can see Nicodemus's mind like kind of born of the spirit. How do I got to go back in my mind? Like, what are you talking about? Like born of the spirit. Like this is, this is something new that the wind blows and goes where it wishes. You can't tell the, you can't tell where it's going. Like, listen, no one's ascended into heaven. No one's been up there except for the one who's come down from there. And I'm talking about the son of man. So Jesus is sitting here talking to this guy in the third person, which is just awkward, strange. It's like the rock. The Rock says this or whatever. It's like WWF or something, man. You know, it's just weird. Hulk Hogan. And, uh, but, but he's saying these things. A voice is coming out of a, she- a, a, a shell like a regular human being, but it's saying things. No one's gone up there but the one who's come down here. And I'm talking about the Son of Man who's actually there right now. And it's just like, you're there right now, but you're in front of me right now, but you're, oh my God. You know? And so he's, you know, remember, he doesn't talk like the scribe, so you can feel what he says. You know, so the presence of Almighty, of the I Am, is standing there, but it's not confrontational like John 8 when he says, before Abraham was, I am. You know, Abraham saw my day. Another one of those old guys that saw into the future the reality of Jesus Christ, right? Seeing through the right lens back into Abraham's life, which we've done that recently. But it's like, here he is with, with he, it's not contentious. They're connecting. And so he's in the holiest place of God. Of, of, he's in the holy of holies. He knows this. He's passed the veil to the, to the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yahweh embodies standing there, and he says, yeah, I'm standing in front of you here, and I'm in heaven right now too. I'm in two places at once, and maybe a lot more than that. 
if you believe who I really am. And so just Nicodemus is just like, you know, mind is getting, getting, getting tweaked out, you know. But then he says something. And as Moses, this is John three fourteen, and as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, can you imagine that? See, the Israelites had this random story and did not know what it meant. They're like, yeah, it's a cool trick. I mean, it was cool, you know. Imagine being Jewish and never hearing, knowing Jesus, never, never seeing from this lens. It's just like, wow, you're hearing a bedtime story. Like, well, they all got poisoned by snakes. Like, dang, because they're being complaining. Yeah, but God must have sent it to them. Like, yeah. And, and, so how they get fixed? Well, God told them to hang up a, a bronze-colored copper snake on a, a, you know, metallic snake on a stick. And if they would just look at it and fix their gaze upon it, because that's kind of how the Hebrew word is, like to actually fixate on it, it would cause the poison to be gone from them. They'd be healed from it. They wouldn't die. And it was like, wow. But then there's no other question. It's like, well, well why? Because God does magic things, man. That's why. You know, like, what do you mean? Why is a rainbow good? It just is, man. It's just the way it is. But it's like, but there was more to it. There was more to it. And so here's Jesus, just like the Jacob's Ladder verse. He's in John 3, and he's saying, hey, as Moses was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so here you catch him like, like, what do you mean, like, on a stick? Like, like. You know, Nicodemus has, has it, most likely has the first five books memorized. So he has, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the <coughs> fourth book. He's got, that, he's got that thing memorized. He could say it without reading it. Yeah. And definitely he's watched the movie, you know, so many times. Like we watch movies. Oh, I remember, you know, I can quote all of Star Wars or whatever. They, they could quote everything in the story. Like it was their life. They've been hearing these stories since they're little, you know. And, uh, and he's a high Pharisee and he's, a, he's a, a ruler of the Pharisees. And so... He's like, he's hearing quotes. He's hearing a quote that Obi-Wan said or Yoda or something to him. It's just like clicks as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, you know. Um, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he's like, you're talking about yourself being here in front of me, but also in heaven. You're, you're doing these magical things. and I know that God has to be with you. This has to be of God. And, and you're talking about being born of the Spirit. And now you're talking about being lifted up. But that thing was lifted up on a stick. And it caused, it caused the poison which infected mankind that they were bitten by in the wilderness to be eradicated from them. And so here he is getting this picture of the cross. See, now we're looking at it now. We don't know those first five books probably as well as he did. And maybe, you know, some of y'all might, but, you know, probably not. Not enough to just recite it, okay? Come on. But, you know, here he is putting these things together and he's listening to these things and it's just blowing his brain. But he says something, not that whoever gazes upon it will, will be healed from the poison of the serpent, which is what it is. But he says, if Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's where that comes in. It's like, huh? It's like we'll never even taste death. It's not only the poison that came in from that negativity in the wilderness that was poisoning that unbelief that was manifesting in them being purged from their body, that poison that was causing them to die. It's like they didn't die, but they still died eventually. But this is like that. I'm going to be lifted up like that, but it's going to reverse death. Like death is, is like the poison of the fall. It's an aspect of it that you were not supposed to taste. And it will actually release you from it. On, and it's just like, well, that's controversial. Everybody's got to die once. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, no, no, no. And, and see, see, we see this stuff in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's like, this isn't a nice scripture, you know. I'm not going to flick somebody off in traffic because I got ticked off. I've been crucified with Christ. 
I'm not getting mad because I got cut off. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we you know what I'm saying? It's time I've been crucified with Christ. Like my old, the old man, the old nature has been crucified with him, and I'm, I'm actively. Well, it could happen in traffic too. You could apply it. That's probably correct myself. But it's like we are actively applying that reality as our mind is becoming renewed into this reality, yeah. and we're walking in this level of faith, believing also. Not only is it just for the, you know heaven when I die it's for the here and now he's purging my lineage the more I see him as he truly is Amen. you know Paul the apostle he, he called his accolade he called his accolades dung in the bible which the, there's only one word that accurately translates that word in our language and it's the S word I'm just it's just honest that's I, hey I got a degree in this stuff that's just what it is man that's how he talked in that scripture that's what it says you know what I'm saying? But it's like, but he, but what he, he was about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like that was the most important thing. And even as a young believer, I never fully understood that. But it's like, there's something to seeing that serpent on the pole for those guys in the wilderness that caused the reality. And so here he's one who's taken the curse upon him and hung on the tree. The nature of that serpent, every single bit of darkness was placed upon him on the cross. And if we recognize that, we separate that darkness and that nature of Adam, the bitterness, the anger, the, the pain, the hurt, the frustration, the judgment, even the insecurities and fears and negativities. And we realize, oh, he's taken everything from me. I'm not a victim. Amen. But also those things are not mine. I was crucified with him. Every single thing that came through the snake bite, through the, through the poison of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the snake's poison, every single bit of that, he's actually released from me, you know. He's, you know, Colossians says he's made a public display and a spectacle to the principalities and powers is what it says. In other words, the cross itself became that. It wasn't that initially because they didn't know what was going on. But after the fact, every demonic entity that runs the earth realized the mistake that they had made. Second Corinthians says that if they, if they would have, you know, uh, or first Corinthians, if what I'm talking a little too fast. Okay. (laughs) Let me back myself up. Um, if the rulers of this world would have known, right, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They would have never done it. It was a mistake. But it was hindsight mistake, man. It was a hindsight mistake. They played, they played directly into his hand. And we see him there, literally, so funny, talking to Nicodemus, telling him it's going to happen, telling him what he's planning on doing before anybody knew him or recognized him. 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 8, none of the rulers knew. If they would have known, they wouldn't have crucified him. Like nobody knew what he was doing. And so here he is quoting that. You, you see, hey, the Super Bowl's out today. Who you got? Who you got? I think the Rams going to win, but that's me. Could be wrong. But you see, and you probably will see that John 3.16 somewhere in that crowd. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. On that sign, but I think they should have a big snake draped over that sign, hanging it up like that, you know? No, because I mean, think about that. That's verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that verse because it's like, ooh, a serpent in the wilderness? What is this? What is it? What kind of Bible church is that? You a Pentecostal? You dancing around them snakes, boy? What you got going on over there? Like, no, 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 no. This is the Bible now. Come on. This ain't that. We ain't, we ain't doing that. But <clears throat> the reality of the whole thing, man, um, is this is our view. 
And here Jesus is talking to Nicodemus saying that that was me and this is me and that's going to be, you know what I mean? This is what's going to happen. They're going to see me lifted up on a pole, on a stick. And it's going to take when they actually can, when they see it and associate with it. I love somebody like Jordan Peterson really because he reads the Bible so much and you can tell that he's fully convinced of its reality now. He plays the game a little bit with people and says, well, you know, blah, 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 but he fully believes it. And you can just see it and you can see it when he talks about it. He's a psychologist, right? A clinical psychologist. And, um, but uh, I think that's, but, you know, he says, you know, this is the, this is the pillar of psychology. Like, you know, they understand the serpent in the wilderness and, and, and he's drawn the association to Christ, but he's also like, you have to look at the very thing that you're terrified of, will, willingly, voluntarily look at it and it loses its power over you. And man, there's, there's a truth there. There's a truth. There's a real truth there. And, and, and it's like, it's not like, just like, let's get rid of Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, and we won't have to look at that other option, which was really just our fear manifesting in front of us. We'll just, we can all act like, well, we all have that fear, so we can all just agree to have that fear and pretend that we don't and get rid of them. You know what I'm saying? Instead of that, right? So there's, a, there's definitely truth there, but there's such a higher truth in 2 Corinthians 3. As we behold him without a veil, we're transformed in the same image. And when we behold the cross, we see what actually happened. It works, man. It's not, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not just a ritual. It's not, it's not an Easter message. I mean, Esther is the goddess of fertility. It's demonic. Look, I mean, I like Passover. That's not a shot at that time frame, you know, Constantine, whatever, right? I'm just saying that, that what I'm saying is Nicodemus actually helped Jesus off that pole. You know, Nicodemus showed up with Joseph of Arimathea when Joseph went to Pilate to ask to have Jesus' body taken down, the, what, you know, the, the symbolic, just like the snake. He went, Nicodemus showed up with this stuff to anoint the body of the Lord. And by then, guess what? I don't give a rip what y'all think about me. You know, first it was like, I'm going to go creep to him by night because I don't want my friends to see me. Now you have a ruler of Pharisees like that's one of the one of the ones taking the body down and anointing him. That's free from the fear of man. And that's after like even the disciples were scared, locking themselves in rooms like, oh, my gosh, they're going to see we're with them. They can do the same thing to us. That's Nicodemus saying, I don't care what you do to me now. Nicodemus is on another level, Steve. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just on another, he's just on another page because of that. John 19, 39, he comes and helps take his body down. And this un, the understanding had to have set in. I'm sure Jesus visited him. I'm sure the spirit was poured upon him. I'm sure he was part of the, 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 the church, um, all these different things. But like the understanding and probably the assistance of teaching that he was man in his life to say, hey, listen, this is what he told me. Because he had to have communicated this. You know, John knew about the story. Like, they knew each other. Um, you know, it's just like this. He told me as the serpent was lifted up in Genesis 21, this is going to happen. And it's happened. And he did it. He took the poison, y'all. He took it away from us. And this is us. Remember, what do we see when we see the snake in the wilderness? We see a misconception of who God was. Not the one that bit people, but the actually one that rescued people. He is, Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God. Yeah. 
please the Father that in him all the fullness should, de- should dwell and by him to, recon- to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's um, Colossians 19 and 20. It's like you were once alienated, Colossians 1, 21, and enemies of God in your mind. In other words, it wasn't real. You weren't alienated. Your sin has not separated you from God. Sorry to smash that. It's not real. You were alienated and enemies from God in your mind. But now look at who he is, what he's done. Gaze on the cross because now... He's made a public display against principalities and powers. They would have never done it if they would have seen. That's Colossians 2. They would have never done it. He disarmed them, it says, Colossians 2.15. He disarmed them of their power, all the poison of religion and of the fall. He took it all upon himself. And when we see it and recognize what he done, we don't accept it in our life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He's a liar. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and, and the truth of God literally comes and manifests to us. Amen. And that's healing, man. To see him as he truly is, it transforms who we are. And it changes our tongue. And we're walking this thing out. I've always thought that, you know, that Hebrews 10, like he has, he has perfected those forever who are being sanctified. It's like, so are we perfect? Are we being sanctified? You know, which one it is, is that's one of those like, you know, you're up on a mountain, you know, meditating right there. He's perfected, he's meditating. But it's like, it's both. The perfection on his end, he's taking the whole thing and we are, we are walking that reality out little by little, in traffic, in our relationships. You know what I'm saying? And much of it, we man- what we manifest in our mouth, we are learning to take thoughts captive. Second Corinthians 10. We're learning to take thoughts captive that exalt themselves above this knowledge, the knowledge of who he is and who he says you are, and say, hey, that's not really me. That's what it means, take thoughts captive. Because it says, they not them- uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, they exalt themselves above the knowledge of God, but we make them to submit to Jesus Christ because now we have a higher knowledge of God. That's what that means. That's 2 Corinthians 5. <laughs> I'm talking so fast today that I, I'm almost like spitting my, mumbling my words out. And I, and I am aware of this. So, <laughs> just so you know, um, you know. Yeah, but you're tracking, yeah. We cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. We're taking these things captive to the obedience of Christ, of the person of who he truly is. And this is us. This is us. And this is the maturity that we're walking in. I've had something for you guys. I felt, um, I had a prophetic picture as I was praying this morning at my house before I left today. I was like, what is the, the word of the Lord here? Because I feel our house and I, I love it. We're, we're growing in true real maturity. So many people are stepping into the maturity of this walk, of this relational walk with the Lord. And um, I, I love doing that. You know, we do that every once in a while. The, the fast. We call a fast and everyone kind of gets nervous because they think it's going to be about food. And then it's like, no, it's about talking trash, not saying negative things, you know, out of our mouth. And everyone's like, okay, well, I can do that. But it's always funny with couples and spouses. And several times me and Nicole start talking and be like, that was negative. You're right. That was negative this week. You know, like we're thinking about it, you know, um, you know, so, um, you know, we're all growing in this and it's funny cause I know you guys are, some of you guys are doing it with each other and stuff like that. Um, but I have another assignment this week, but I feel like it comes with a word that I saw this morning. Um, I would like to, and if you didn't get to maybe let's, let's extend the fast for a week, you know, of cutting the negativity out of our mouth. 
um, of the things that we speak um, until it's just our culture, you know, um, and our nature. Because, man, when you're present enough to know the things that come in and out of your mind, even their self-limitations or negative things about yourself, taking those things captive. But, man, I'll tell you what, they, from, you know, it's, it's that, but it's also with relational stuff with people as well. Um, um, but I want to I move from not just being not negative, but today's message, and I was going to open up with this, I probably should have, but was about moving our thoughts into intercession. In other words, taking up the authority that we actually have. It's not just not allowing the enemy to feed off the carnal nature in our life, but it's actually turning it and taking the authority that we all have. And, and by, I mean that, by the way that I mean that, when I say for the assignment this week and moving our thoughts into intercession, is taking the thoughts, especially when they're concerning other people. When we have a negative thought that comes in, instead of saying, nope, I'm not going to say that, or I started to speak that, I'm not. It's like taking it with the heart of the Lord and praying for those people as they come in. And even as I thought about this this morning, somebody came up to my mind that I have a hard time with. Instantly. You know. And it's somebody in here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, Oh, come on. It's like, you got to grow up, man. You're going to be a pastor. You need to stop making jokes like that. I don't know. So anyhow. (laughs) No. But, um, but I, I had a thought about somebody. I was like, ah, oh, that was frustrated with it. frustration. And I want, I want better for her. But it was like, I'm not, the thought, like, I'm not going to speak on that, which I wasn't going to speak on it because I'm by myself. But it was like, hey, when you feel those things, pray my heart into the reality, yeah. you know. Amen. And so I did that this morning. Pray my identity over that person, my true identity. What are you frustrated about there? I was like, what do you think I want for them? Pray that for them. Amen. Like, oh, yeah. We're talking about 15 seconds and moving on. Not dwelling on it. You know what I'm saying? We're not sackcloth throwing dirt on our heads and stuff. You know, I was driving the other night. This happened to me. I was driving, you know, I was driving to Ming's actually. Ming's Cafe. They call it Cafe, but it's, yeah, thank you, sir. It's really good. Chicken with broccoli. That's what me and Nicole were getting. So I was going to pick it up and take it home. And um, another, somebody that came, like, man, I was disappointed, frustrated, making some bad decisions, isn't that? And I thought, hey, this is the invitation of the Lord to pray the purposes of God for their life. Oh, let this person step into their purpose and calling in you. Let them put down the false identity. Let them really take a hold. Let the, you know, you know, just boom. And imagine us taking the thoughts captive, not only captive and not allowing negativity out of our mouth, but taking it to a whole nother level of being on offense all the time. Right? Is the best defense a good offense? I don't know, man. But that's the way I like to play and in sports. But, in, but even in, in, in this, we can take even that which feels like opposition or negativity and take it a step further and pray for those people as they come up. Right. Pray for that stuff. And so I thought that and I was going to write that down. Then before I was leaving today, I was at the house and I prayed about the people. And I saw, it's like I saw us all. I saw the large group of people and everybody had stones in their hands. And um, it wasn't like the Israelite stones, let's, let's throw rocks at Moses. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like David. And I was like, wow. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, how yeah, he took those five smooth stones, those rocks out of the... It was like, I, I don't need the special swords and the weapons of Saul, the armor of Saul. You know what I'm saying? His helmet and all these. I want that which I walk in. And it's like, that's what takes down the giants. 
And it's like, this is what I have experience in. This is my relationships. This is my life. He was using that to kill lions and bears. He was, you know, out there and the, he took, he took what he did have and he used that and it set so many people free. And so I just saw all these people holding rocks, like holding stones, but not in a stoning way. But honestly, I think a lot of times as Christians, it can go either way. We can see the negative and we can just be those who launch. Man, he's an old, he's a dumb son of a gun. He's never going to get right. He's da-da-da-da. Gosh, I'm so frustrated every time he talks to me. Da-da-da. Like, yeah, me too. Da-da-da. And then you walk off and didn't think about it. It's like you just spewed the poison of the serpent out and spread it and spiritually put it on that. You know what I mean? Like, let that never be us. But imagine that, the stones of the authority that we do have that doesn't look like much, the stones of our own thoughts. And boom, she's living in a false identity. It's frustrating, frustrating whatever. She's like, you know what, oh, you know what, Lord, I lift this person to you right now. Give me your heart for her. Let me see her like you. Let her see herself like you see her. You know, let the relationships that she's in that are the voice of the serpent, let them be revealed as what they are and let her connect to your voice as she has before. Yeah, uh, tur- order for Turner. Two chicken with broccoli, steamed rice. Yeah, that's me. That's me at Ming's. That was the example of that. But you know what I'm saying? It can be anytime, anywhere, you know. So our assignment today is use the stones. Sling them in the right way. Take our thoughts captive and let them be recycled into intercession because we are not victims. We are powerful. And if it comes to us, who better than it to come to? than somebody who has the connection of the Lord on the inside and can partner with him. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He wants a mouth. He wants people to bite. He needs wound. He needs pain. He needs gossip. He needs slammer. He needs someone to make fun of somebody. He needs that attitude to borrow the tongue and release his poison. But guess who else wants to fill our mouths with life and light? Our roommate. Yeah. Yes, the Christ within us, the very hope of glory. And we can partner with Him. There's nothing more powerful than that reality. And that's us. So Lord, we ask, I ask that, um, that we would be mindful even this week that that fearful, negative voice of the victim would not be found amongst us, but we would silence it that we would take thoughts captive, that we would actually have your mind and your opinion and your views of not only ourselves, definitely ourselves, but also others, that we would see you as you truly are and step into the freedom that that manifests and brings. Thank you so much. Amen.